Hello, funky listeners, and welcome to the first episode of Funk Radio of 2022. Uh, this is your host, Kyle. And this is your host, Peter. Hello and welcome, listeners. It's been a little while. Yeah, we took... Of course, uh, if you're listening to our backlogs, I guess it, there's no time has passed whatsoever, but... Exactly. If you've been patiently been waiting like waiting for us to output content, then... Whoops. Uh, <laughs> Oopsie. Oops. Yeah, we took a bit of a break, and then we had, like, severe writer's block, and then the holiday set in, and then life happened. We had writer's funk. Writer's funk. Funker's block. Funker's funk. Funker's block sounds like a sexually transmitted disease. Hmm. Um, I'll try not to think about that too much. Yeah. Um, So, what are we talking about today, Peter? So today, like you said, we've had some funker's funk lately, but... We've come up with a couple of ideas recently. Um, one of them is notoriously bad like music releases, whether it was like an album that was poorly received or maybe a song that came out that people just really hated for some reason. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, I was just curious what might be out there now. From I I think it's fair to say that trying to cover this topic in one episode is obviously we're not going to be covering everything. Mm-hmm. Um, we kind of just picked out a few uh, handpicked albums and songs to discuss. Um, I mean, literally, you could probably create an entire podcast series oh, yeah. around this idea, um, yeah. but we're not going to do that. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, in, in doing some research for this, a lot of this is obviously subjective. Maybe there's songs, in here, songs or albums in here we picked that you like. Uh, in that case, we're sorry for your taste. Yeah, uh, I guess that's a good point to make as well although if you get offended listeners i mean it's kind of your problem i was gonna say if this is what puts you over the edge from listening to our content then uh (laughs) i don't know how you got this far um first episode of 2022 screw all of our listeners uh So do you want to, so I, I guess you're going to be covering, I guess, the few albums that we selected here, and I'll be yeah. covering s- specific songs. Yeah. Um, so do you want to start with one of yours first? For sure. So the first album I came up with that I think is one that most people could agree is pretty bad is uh, an album put out by Kevin Federline called Playing With Fire. It came out in 2006. Um, I actually had to remind myself who Kevin Federline was. Because I'm like, I've heard that name, but I didn't know. Right. Who he, I forgot who he was. Uh, he was most famously uh, Britney Spears' boyfriend in the early 2000s. Um, okay. And he apparently, um, not content with basically being the boyfriend of a, of a famous pop star, wanted to make music himself. So he decided to become a rapper. Um this is after he started being with her? Yes. Uh, Interesting. I wonder what he was doing before. Yeah, I, I don't... Let me Google really quick because I don't research. Uh, <laughs> like, how did she meet him? Yeah, how did he Kevin meet her? Federline meet Britney Spears. Uh, it says that she met him in 2004 when she was briefly married to her childhood friend, Jason Alexander. Hopefully that's not the same Jason Alexander that played uh, in Seinfeld, <laughs> because that would be really awkward. <laughs> I have a very strong feeling it's not the same guy. That's hilarious. 
Uh, Federline said, quote, I met her at a club in Hollywood at Joseph's. Our eyes met, and that was it. We just hit it off right away. Um, and then I should have known they met at the club. At the club? Yeah. Uh, yeah, they got married fairly soon after, whirlwind wedding, all that stuff. Um, so, yeah, good for him. So... So yeah, in two, I guess a couple of years after meeting her, he was like, hey, I'm good at music too. So <laughs> uh, he released a rap album called Playing With Fire uh, in October uh, of 2006, actually Halloween, which makes it extra scary, uh, through the uh, production company Federation Records. Uh, the executive producer of the album was his wife, Britney Spears, who actually contributes okay. vocals to... Uh, the like top single of the album called Crazy, uh, which they kind of re- pre-released as a single to kind of hype up the album and kind of mm-hmm. have him, you know, have her boost his fame, I guess. Um, so before we go into the uh, critical uh, reception of the album, let's actually listen to a little clip of the uh, top track Crazy. I'm a ride for my family, I die. Would y'all think, yeah, I'm that guy? Don't care about you, cause I'm the truth. I ball like Kobe, shooting hoops up in the booth. Build a billion dollar corporation, call me Maloo. Like I said once before, I'm the truth. Hollywood can't catch One thing I just want to say about their relationship in general, uh, by the way, knowing absolutely nothing about it in real life, mm-hmm. I, my just my, my impression would be like, I feel like if I married a, a super successful musician, it, I think that would highlight how much I'm not musically inclined as a person. I wouldn't be like, oh, because you're a musician than I am too. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? I mean, maybe, maybe he had prior music experience. I have no idea, but it's, it's just kind of funny to think about it that way. Very funny. Listening to the song, uh, this is the most 2006 rap song I've ever heard. It sounds like he's trying really hard to mimic uh, Snoop Dogg's Drop It Like It's Hot, but instead mm. he dropped it into the ground. Uh, because, <laughs> yeah, it's got that same cadence and stuff, but it, right. it he's about as far from Snoop Dogg as anyone could possibly be. Pretty much. Also, complete side note, I was re- I was reminded in the grocery store the other day that mm-hmm. Snoop Dogg has his own brand of wine. That's and amazing. I'm, uh, I was like, I, in my head at the moment, I was like, oh, we should do an episode where we like each drink his wine and like review it. But I'm like, I don't know if that would actually be like you don't, enough you don't, to fill an episode. You don't need to give me an excuse to try his wine. <laughs> Uh, that might actually... Okay, here's an idea for an episode. I think it was like 15 bucks or something. It wasn't that much. That's that's not bad. Here's an idea for an episode. I don't know if this has been done. Uh, mm. Musicians that have their own liquor. I don't think we've done that. I'm, I'm sure he's not the first or last. I know... I want to say 50 Cent had his own liquor too. I mean, it's, it's fairly common. Mm. Uh, especially with, with modern musicians to kind of spin off into liquor because it's easy to kind of tie your name to it and then get easy sales i wonder if there's like country singers who had their own whiskey oh i i 100 guarantee it um so yeah there we go see we're coming up with new ideas already we're back mm-hmm. um yeah i i would be <laughs> i 
Considering he has a song called Gin and Juice, the fact that he didn't come out with his own gin is kind of a miss for me. Although I don't. And it's really so weird like because gin. he came out with his own juice. He did. No, I'm kidding. Oh, <laughs> I'm just imagining like Capri Sun with like his face on it. <laughs> uh, 100% juice for 100% gangsters. <laughs> Terrible. Uh, oh, you were going to talk about the uh, critical release of this. Yeah, thing. yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, you listened to a little clip of the uh, song to yourself. What did you think of it? Uh, I feel like you basically summed it up. Okay, okay. Uh, <laughs> I mean, so, it's, I, it's not something I would really listen to outside yeah, of this context. Yeah. So we aren't the only ones that disliked it. Um, basically, the album was universally panned by critics. Um, and it says the album holds a score of 15 out of 100, indicating overwhelming dislike on the music review aggregator site Metacritic. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Metacritic is a site, kind of like Rotten Tomatoes, but for like music and movies and, and I think games even, where it aggregates review scores from different top reviewers and kind of creates like an overall score based on consensus. Hmm. Uh, so yeah, 15 out of 100. So that's, got a 15% basically. Yeah, that's beyond rotten. That's horrible. That basically hmm. means like out of 100 reviewers, 15 thought it was like passable or good um <laughs> so so yeah it it was not well received whatsoever um rolling stone actually said quote, quote Federline's rhythm rhyme flow is the opposite of tight mm. which well, is pretty damning that's a that's a death knell if i've ever heard one yeah so i guess if we're gonna keep moving through the list here yeah uh a song from a few years earlier was the song the can't even say it right the the thong song i didn't realize it was so hard to say um by cisco in 1999 um so the song the the thong song was the second single from his 1999 solo debut studio album unleash the dragon i think i'll sing it again she had dumps like all night long let me see that The best thing about night, like late '90s, early 2000s, is every single video was shot with a fisheye lens. Yeah, and then like as as far as music videos from this era go, I mean, this pretty much has, you know, it checks every box in terms of all the. Oh yeah, uh, uh, artists wearing types. Artists wearing all white. Check. Um, booties on the everywhere. Beach. On the beach. Shirtless. Uh, expensive car that he's driving to no particular destination. Check. Uh, fisheye lens for shooting for everything. Check. Uh, yeah, no, this is the quintessential late '90s, early 2000s hip hop video. Uh, mm-hmm. The funny thing is, I mean, this was '99, so we were literally nine. But I remember this song being everywhere. It was like the Macarena, mm. and because I was nine and stupid and didn't understand the sexual context behind it, I liked it. You were like, "It's the Macarena of that ass." <laughs> I'm like in my room practicing how to twerk. <laughs> oh god. Um so yeah listeners um I don't remember whether we said it or not but we basically looked up the music video for this because um you know 
it, it brings it certainly brings back the uh, the feelings of that time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also have uh, some uh, a quote uh, just basically talking about the music video itself because I think it kind of sums up the reception to the song as well um, lyrically. Um, says the whole video consisting of cuts between Cisco and barely clad women drew criticism as it was accused of exploiting women as sex objects and was credited for starting a new wave of quote booty videos. Um, I didn't realize it had like started a trend with this. Like, is this where a lot of that started? Might be. I mean, if it's late nineties, that, that could yeah, be actually, the start that of kind of the, could be. you know, low angle booty shots in, in like every rap video. Right. Um, it goes on to say, uh, the director of the video, Joseph Kahn was quoted as saying, I listen to Thong Song and I say, well, this song is about asses, so you can either accept it and do something like I did, or you can go and try to turn the Thong Song into some kind of Chemical Brothers video and make it all pretentious, about some fucking communist upheaval or something. Let's just relax and make a booty video, and let's make a really good one and make it fun. I, so. <laughs> I, I gotta give him credit, he didn't try to make the song anything it wasn't. Right. Uh, it's very authentic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's very authentically uh, booty. Um, but yeah, apparently, yeah. I don't know if it just didn't age well because of the sexual context of it, um, or if it just got overplayed because it was everywhere. I mean, if it was if it was everywhere to the point that like a nine year old uh, was aware of it, then it was everywhere. Right. So well, and that also kind of goes into you know some of some songs may fly under the radar of controversy if they don't become big but if it's a song like this and even nine-year-olds are you know shaking their asses to it that's a sentence i should never say again um then i think that's when you start to see parents being like hey i don't like this Mm -hmm. so i accidentally stumbled upon the greatest fact about this song i have ever seen so i tried to google the thong song reception as in how was it received by critics oh and or the masses? And instead of that, I got a, a bunch of articles basically saying that Cisco, the, uh, the the singer for the song, sang the thong song at his own wedding reception. Dang. Well. Which is amazing. That sounds like, uh, as we're talking about bad reception, but that sounds like the best reception. I would love to have been a fly on the wall of that reception because that is amazing. Wait, he sang a song at his own wedding reception? Is that what you're saying? Yes. He sang one of his own songs at his own wedding reception. (laughs) Cool. Oh, my god! So I wonder if... if I guess I'm just kind of imagining it basically being kind of like that music video, or is there just, you know, scantily clad women everywhere shaking it to... Including his his then-wife. Exactly. I, I think I think the thong song should become like a wedding uh, state song staple. Like everyone plays it at their <laughs> wedding, it becomes really cliche. That would mm. be amazing. So well, yeah, uh, you, you, there's always time for you to start that trend. Kind of. <laughs> hey, if the DJ would agree to play it, I would not, and my future wife wouldn't basically divorce me f- on the spot for that. Mm. I would do it. <laughs> um. So, Kyle, what's the next album? Yeah, uh, so if you thought Cisco's Thong Song was poorly received, just wait. Um, the <laughs> next album that I stumbled across, and the, 
the funny thing about this artist that we're t- going to talk about, a multitude of his albums were on many different, you know, worst albums of all time, worst albums by critics. Uh, so I think he might be universally one of the most hated or at least divisive artists to ever live, and that is uh, Chris Brown. Uh, now, I know we've talked about Chris Brown a couple of times on Funk, uh, never usually in a good light because outside of his musical career and his personal life, he kind of seems like a dick. Um, And so an album that came up again and again in different lists of bad albums is his 2012 album Fortune, which was his fifth studio album that he released in July of 2012 under RCA Records. Now, Chris Brown's one of those, uh, I don't know what you want to call him, R&B artist, pop artist, whatever. Uh, He's not really a rapper, um, who kind of like Drake or whatever is just constantly turning out albums, like almost mm-hmm. almost on a yearly basis. It's like he's like the Assassin's Creed of uh, of singers. <laughs> um, and so yeah, so he has a lot of different albums. A lot of them aren't good. A lot of them end up on these lists. This one came up, I think, the most. Um, so. There's one song in the album that a lot of the critics said, like, okay, this is the only song in the album that's even bearably listenable. So, mm. because I don't want to subject our listeners to too many terrible songs, I figure, okay, let's play that and see, like, okay, if this is the best song on the album, just imagine how everything else on the album is. So, we're going to play a little clip of his apparently best song, uh, Don't Wake Me Up, which, after listening to this, I wouldn't want to wake up either. I don't know, man. I mean, I feel like this is just uh, uh, emblematic of just like the entire pop music scene of of the mid two thousands. Yeah, it, it yeah, sounds like I mean, it or like, like twenty teens or whatever. Like it just feels like it, it's just kind of forgettable in my opinion. I was gonna say it sounds like every David Guetta song ever. Um, exactly. Yeah. Which whatever happened to that guy? Um, then again, club music like that has never really been my thing. So maybe I'm a little right. biased, but yeah, like all the club music of like the mid 2000s like right after we graduated all of it sounded like that yeah um so yeah if the best song in his album is a forgettable club hit then wow um right so similar similarly to kevin Federline, we are not the only people that disliked this album um multiple different critics basically just blasted it um one critic from No All Music, uh, his name's Andy Kelman, criticized the album's lyrical content as, quote, shameless and found, quote, new dimensions, few, sorry, few dimensions in its music, calling it a, quote, an album of unapologetic swashbuckling that is saved <laughs> from being a disaster by some of its production. Uh, I think so- unapologetic swashbuckling is a great uh, album name. <laughs> That is not even that. That's a great band name. Unapologetic Swashbucklers. <laughs> Try saying that like, we're the Unapologetic Swashbucklers. It sounds like a tongue twister. Um, uh, another um, 
music critic from uh, Spin, Spin's a famous music magazine, uh, Barry Walters, said that, quote, apart from Don't Wake Me Up, Fortune makes it easy for Chris Brown's haters and harder for his fans, <laughs> writing that, quote, there's more than the uh, usual number of mid-tempo ballads that once again mix sex fantasy titillation with his defensiveness. That's uh, that's a weird combination. <laughs> right. Um, I wonder if, because you were saying like, oh, he releases stuff constantly. I wonder, I and I'm sure there's probably people who have done like a full deep dive into this, uh, but me not really knowing much. I wonder if the quality of his music is kind of reflective of how often he's just churning stuff out probably you know it's like when you're yeah i'm just looking at his discography here uh he's first album is 2005 then 2007 then 2009 11 12 2014 2015 2017 2019 so every one to two years i guess but pretty much yeah he's he's called i mean i i feel like you could do that and not have bad music but i don't know yeah yeah if you're but i don't know if you're really good at being like tight with your production and you can you know have you know creativity flow pretty quickly um the sad thing is i mean i'm looking at like the chart positions every single one of his albums was at least in the top 10 so he's one of those art he's he's one of those weird artists where like critics hate him and people that don't like him really don't like him but he obviously has a fan base or else he wouldn't be in the top 10 uh consistently yeah but yeah he's definitely one of those it's, it's one of those that you like you hate to love him sort of people yeah you hate to love him and you love to hate him i guess um so yeah that was uh that was chris brown album fortune um and like i said he has i mean i just listed he has probably 10 albums at this point and that was the one that was uh-huh. considered the most bad so so far yeah um, speaking of Brown, let's talk about Envy <laughs> and Ivory by Paul McCartney and Stevie Wonder. I'm sorry, that was um, the best segue of the show ever. <laughs> so yeah, uh, Ebony and Ivory, I mean, this is one of the more classic, I feel, uh, duets just between like some of the, a couple of like the most popular singers of their time, mm-hmm. basically. Um, uh, this is from 1982, um, and you know i obviously i mean this was a major commercial hit at the time um you know with i mean between paul mccartney and stevie wonder i think it's almost impossible to have a song that wouldn't be a big hit um at the same time though uh it also apparently something i didn't really know about the song is that i didn't realize like it had actually also drawn a lot of criticism um for its message of racial harmony um I, I guess before I get into that, maybe we should listen to a little clip of it. So yeah, I mean, like I said, the the message of that song, I mean, it's pretty blatant that it's like, hey, black people, white people, let's all get along um but i think the some of the criticism actually comes from the fact that it was a little too overt in its messaging mm-hmm. um rather than being maybe slightly more creative with it but i don't know i i don't i don't know i don't know if i would personally really like criticize the song for that reason yeah it's kind of like 
you don't know if the critic is critiquing it because it's too making it too obvious or if they're critiquing it because they don't like the idea of hey black people and white people don't get along uh, a lot being thrown in their face it's kind of like the, yeah. oh, if we don't talk about racism it doesn't exist right apparently this song ranked uh, as number one in a bbc6 music poll for the worst duets in history um and it also ranked as number 10 in blender's poll of worst songs ever it's also, I guess, multiple times been described as saccharine for its heavy-handed approach to its subject. So I guess I'm not entirely sure what people would have preferred to see here. Because, I mean, I don't, I don't feel like the backlash is people not liking the message. It, it just seems like that maybe it was a little too in your face. Yeah. But I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, I'm just going into the assuming that people aren't complaining about the message. Yeah, um, some of the some of the critiques that I saw when I was kind of digging around for it was wasn't so much the message but the messenger. A lot of people mm. kind of because at this point in late 80, early eighties, excuse me, uh, Paul McCartney was kind of fading uh, from fame, mm. and a lot of people saw this song as him sort of attempting to kind of jump back into the limelight. Uh, in a very heavy-handed kind of way, mm. um, which maybe didn't sit well with some people. Uh, it says, quote, uh, according to uh, crit- critics Mattinger and Easter, um, I don't know, I guess they're famous music critics, uh, the most common reaction 20 years later was that it marked, quote, the beginning of the end of McCartney's artistic credibility. <laughs> Did people just feel like he was selling out and just doing like, hey, let me do, uh, maybe, let me jump into what's popular today? Yeah, it may like, have, it may have just been like, okay, what's this like, you know, kind of at that point kind of has been British Beatle musician doing, preaching to us about racism. Right. Yeah. Okay. I mean, from that perspective, I can at least see what they're saying. Uh, um, obviously, uh, I, I mean, I wasn't around in the early 80s. Yeah. You know. Uh, contemplating this song for its time so I, I guess it's hard for me to say for sure yeah uh not only that i guess it, after its release it just got insane levels of like airplay and, and like the music video was mm. everywhere it was it was so um what's the word ubiquitous uh that it was actually spoofed in an 82 saturday night live sketch with eddie murphy <laughs> i was gonna Stevie say Wonder. once you started going down that route i was like he's gonna say snl with eddie murphy i don't know why it's just i, I gotta feeling. look i gotta look this up quick actually hold on eddie murphy. oh god yeah it's joe piscopo playing uh paul mccartney i'll save that to my watch later and for sure give it a proper so, yeah. watch um that's pretty funny i didn't know that was a thing I, I guess I I will make a comment really quick here. It, it is interesting that like we're going through some of you know songs or albums that were really negatively received, but in many cases, or at least in a couple of cases, they are they are at the same time like widely acclaimed in a like, positive light as well. Oh yeah. So I I I think a lot of it, especially with songs like Ebony and Ivory, it's songs that became really really popular really fast and. Uh, and just be 
you know, were everywhere. So people ended up getting sick of it. So then they end up having, uh, you know, years later having not fond memories of it because they're like, oh God, that song was right. overplayed or it was an earworm. And I just got tired of it. There's plenty of songs like that. Yeah. I mean, that could be an old separate episode of just popular songs that everyone hates now. Uh, right. Well, and, it, you know, when we were looking through lists of, you know, stuff that was considered that's considered poorly received, there's a lot of stuff in there that was like, that's just like a normal popular song. Why is that in this list? But I think it's kind of what you're saying. It's probably ones that were, you know, popular in a good way, but then were just overplayed or... Mm whatever or they were they were they were insinuated into like a lot into like different situations whether they be in movies or advertising or whatever Uh, and then kind of became cliche because of that yeah um but yeah that i mean again this i like stevie wonder i'm sure paul mccartney is fine in the 80s i don't really know uh, I don't think it's a bad song. I think it's just become, and maybe maybe even it was back then. It's just become a very cliche song, kind of, right. you know, oversimplifying the complex issue of racism. Right. So, so yeah. well, Kyle, I want to thank you for your description of that song. Yes, and I want to Duran Duran away from that last uh, music video. <laughs> I don't know. That was the worst seg- you had the best segue of the year so far, and I've had the worst. Um, <laughs> so, so the the final album that I wanted to talk about is uh, Duran Duran, which I don't know if we've talked about on this show. Uh, they they might have mentioned them. Yeah, they're like an '80s kind of synth pop sort of band. I don't know. They're hard to describe. Um, they released an album in 1995 called Thank You, um, which I think was kind of like on the t- tail end of their popularity. They were really big in the 80s. Um, and th- it says Thank You is the eighth studio album by the English New Wave Band. Um, it was released in April of 95, uh, and it performed moderately on charts, uh, reaching number 12 on the UK chart and number 19 on the US, but received overwhelmingly negative reviews from critics. Now, the thing about their album Thank You was it was entirely covers of other songs. Mm. So it was Duran Duran doing covers of a multitude of songs. And some of the songs that they did covers of uh, are kind of questionable. Let me look at the track list here. Uh, They did a cover of um, White Lines, uh, the um, Grandmaster Flash song. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> um, they did a cover of the song Watching the Detectives. Uh, who did that song? Hold on. I think that's Elvis Costello. Yes. they did. So they did a cover of Watching the Detectives by Elvis Costello. And my favorite that I found on here, they also did um, 911 is a Joke by the band Public Enemy uh, with one of my favorite mm. rappers of all time, Flavor Flav. Um <laughs> Now, I love the song 911 is a joke because the whole thing is basically like, you know, in certain neighborhoods, uh, in cities, people don't even bother calling the cops because they either don't come or they come too late. Right. You have to he- listen to, let's play a little clip of um, Duran Duran's cover of 911 is a joke um, because I don't know if they were trying to channel Beck, but it's just we- <laughs> weird as all shit. 
Well, that's certainly a song. Yeah. <laughs> it's just... It's just really weird. It's like they try to experiment with, like, applying different sort of musical characteristics to, like, uh, you know, songs that would be completely out of their wheelhouse, which, I mean, I guess is fun. I mean, recently, uh, Weezer released an album of just nothing but covers, and they, they did a cover of Toto's Africa, which just exploded in popularity. Oh. I loved it. So it can be done well. It can be done right. But I just, I don't know if Duran Duran is the band to do that. Um, right. <laughs> one of the one of the uh, quotes from a reviewer that I found is probably one of the greatest like reviews I've ever read. It says, "Thank you" is a cover album by the, uh, and it was actually named the worst ever album by Q Magazine in two thousand six. Wow. Uh, Q's deputy editor Gareth Grundy said, "Quote: Duran Duran was the one that united everyone in agreement." We put it on in the office to remind ourselves how bad it was. Sometimes these things are redeemed by some sort of kitsch or novelty value, but it didn't even have that. It's not funny for even a split second, and not even the sort of thing that you would put on and have a laugh if you were drunk. Yikes. That's pretty bad when they're saying, like, this album is so bad that it's not even one of those, like, it's, it's not so even bad good. it's good. <laughs> yeah. It's just bad. So that is very, yeah. very harsh. Um... Yeah, Duran Duran was a big, like I said, it was a, they were a big band. They were big in like the late, I think like the late 80s, maybe early 90s. But by this time, they were kind of fading. So they were like, hey, let's do a cover album. Um, but yeah, it, it's uh, considered by a lot of critics and fans alike to be one of the worst albums ever performed. Just because of its unnecessary, I almost said unnecessariness. That's not a word. Uh so yeah, that is the final album that I kind of stumbled across that I thought was worth talking about. Um, very weird album. It's worth a listen on Spotify if you don't have to pay for it, but it's bad. I guess to wrap up this topic, I have one more song to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't think I would classify this as so bad it's good because I think it's so bad that other people have had fun with it in a way to try to make it good or make it more fun. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the song Friday by Rebecca Black, um, which probably a lot of people remember from only about, uh, about 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. This is kind of a case where someone releases one song and it becomes so notorious and universally hated that I don't think that person can ever like recover from that. And I, I absolutely have no idea whether she re- released any music after this. She probably did to try to like shake off the whole Friday thing. Mm-hmm. So the deal with this song, when it first came out, um, it, it kind of hit its first wave of recognition um, after Mystery Science Theater 3000 and Riffs Tracks comedian Michael J. Nelson went on Twitter and called it the worst video ever made. Uh, that's, that reminds me that the music video is also a big part of this song mm-hmm. as well. Um, it's also apparently featured on the Tosh.0 blog, which that's a name i haven't heard in a long time oh man whatever whatever happened to that guy but yeah i mean so i think from there basically i mean you know and this is you know prime internet era so the song basically became a meme in that it was just so annoying and poorly written so uh, you know for those reasons the song's reception was highly negative and it was you know you want to talk about snl parodying ebony and ivory well you probably had you know, thousands of people parodying this song. 
oh, in various yeah. ways on the internet. Um, it really blew up in the wrong way, basically. <laughs> um, you know the story behind the, that song, right? About like how how it came about. She was. I don't remember. I know there was something about it though. She she was from Huntington Beach, I think, down here in Orange County. I think her parents were fairly well to do. So as like a birthday present to her, I guess there's places probably all over the country, but especially down in like Orange County and LA area where you can pay like a, not like a, like a fairly substantial amount of money, but not as much as you would, as you would think to produce a music video to mm-hmm. like these kind of keech little production companies. And they'll just be like, it's almost like, uh, uh, it's almost like a photo shoot, you know, for like, but instead of a photo shoot, it's like, Oh, we're going to, you know, record you and make a simple music video for you for say $20,000. So she wasn't even a real singer. She was just some rich kid who was like, I want to make a music video. Essentially. Uh, let me confirm that. So I'm not slandering somebody for no reason. Well, while, while you look that up, Kyle, um, the rest of us are going to listen to a little clip of Friday by Rebecca Black. I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, it says Rebecca Black was born in Irvine, California. Um, Her parents were both veterinarians. Uh, In late 2010, a classmate of Black and music video client of Los Angeles record label Arc Music Factory told her about the company. Black's mother paid $4,000 for Arc Music to produce the music video, while the Blacks retained ownership of both the master and the video. The single Friday, written entirely by Arc, was released on YouTube and iTunes. Uh, so basically, oh, so she didn't write it then. Yeah, but the fact that the family paid four thousand dollars and retained the rights to the song—they probably made millions off of that. I was going to say that was really smart of them to retain the rights to that. So apparently, she did. Wow, she's released a lot of music videos. It's probably like twenty or so. Yeah, and when I was she Google- probably has about thirty singles. Oh wow! It, it seems like she did release more after that. I, you know, I. <laughs> It's I don't know. It, it's it's an interesting situation because really the only reason this song is popular is because people have been making fun of it um, mm-hmm. on social media and all that. And so it's just an interesting case where I don't know. I'm I'm curious how she took that reception and was she like, oh, despite it being made fun of, it was still really popular. So I'm going to make more music for that oh, reason. Yeah. Or is she just doing it because she likes to, which I'm not necessarily going to knock her for. I don't know. I, it sounds like she just honestly, I mean, has a passion for music and basically wasn't going to let the fact that, you know, they made a crappy music video when she was, what, 15 or 16, whatever, uh, get in the way of her becoming a musician. Uh, like you said, yeah, she has a lot of music videos. Um, when I was searching Rebecca Black, there's a video that was uploaded, that was uploaded, uh, just like seven months ago called Worth It for the Feeling. And I was skimming through it. It's actually mm. not bad. Hmm. So interesting. Despite having a horrible music video, she evolved into an, an a capable singer, at least. Right. It, it is weird though because this video is very because she's obviously much older now, probably like mid twenties. Uh, so this video is much more 
sexualized. So yeah, juxtaposing uh, the like high school Rebecca Black Friday video with this, I'm just like, Ugh. well, maybe that's maybe she's doing that on purpose to kind of like create a new oh. image for herself. Which, oh, 100 yeah, hundred percent. So uh, yeah, that's interesting, and you know, I think it's really the only one out of this list that really has that really kind of had that viral reception to it, I guess, in that mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, there have been other songs of a similar, uh, you know, thing that has happened to them. Um, we a- actually had a topic on meme songs, I think, a while back. I was gonna. I was just about to ask you if we ever done like. I don't know, music videos that went viral or something. But I guess that kind of is like that. I know. We, so we did one about meme songs a couple of years ago. I don't rem, I don't think we talked about this one. That's surprising. I know we've also talked about music videos to some extent. I don't know if we've talked about specifically viral music videos mm-hmm. in like the last 10, 15 years. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, um, I think that was all of our picks for notoriously bad albums and songs like i like like peter said at the beginning of this uh there's dozens if not hundreds uh we're not gonna obviously go through all of them maybe we'll do a part two at some point if we uh get around to it but yeah if mm-hmm. if there's any you know notoriously bad albums or songs that we didn't cover that you think are horrible uh you can let us know on our facebook page at facebook.com slash get your funk uh, you can also find us on our website, getyourfunk.com. All of our past episodes are there. Uh, most importantly, we're on Spotify. That seems to be where everyone listens to podcasts now. Um, and I think we're on Google Play and Apple Music, too. When uh, when I used to do a, a second podcast in addition to this one, what we used to end up... Because like, we could never remember where all our shits were. So mm-hmm. we would, what we basically say at the end is, like, wherever you're listening to us now, that's where you can listen to more later. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of a good point. It's like, if you found us, just keep listening there. <laughs> right. Uh, so yeah, um, this has been six horrible music, vi- or music videos. This has been six horrible albums and songs uh, with your host, <laughs> Kyle. And this is your host, Peter. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being the listeners. And uh, we hope you'll listen again next time. Bye. We love you.